Welcome to This Story Matters. Each episode, we visit with people just like you who've walked through events that have grown their faith, transformed their families, drawn them closer to Christ, and refreshed their outlook on life. We believe sharing a testimony can build up others, and that is why this story matters. This episode is presented by Beatles Property Maintenance. For all home maintenance needs, including mold remediation and radon mitigation, more information found at BeatlesPM.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm Stephanie Jenkins, your host for This Story Matters. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Joy Martin. Joy has an incredible story of God saving her from domestic violence. Joy, thank you so much for giving me some of your time to tell the story God has given you. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. Before we go any further, I just want to stop and ask the Lord to come into the space and be with us as we talk about this today. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you right now, and I'm so grateful that what the men is, the enemy means for harm, you will use for good. I see that time and time and time again in my life and the lives of others. And Lord, today we want a Holy Spirit to dwell in the words that are spoken. We want to give you honor and glory in what we talk about. And God, let this minister to even just one person who's walking through a difficult situation right now and just feels like they're invisible and they're not seen. Let this resonate with them and give them hope and give them peace that's beyond human understanding because you, God, are our healer and we're thankful for that today. Knowing you like I know you, I consider these things done. We'll give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So tell us a little bit about... um, your your dating life and and where you kind of found yourself um i ended up being in my early 30s and um alone i had had a um roommate that had gotten in trouble with the law and so i ended up being like just in in an apartment by myself with like it was super tiny cuz it was the only place i could afford at the time and i just felt so lonely and um, got online. Um, I know some people find love online, but it's always been (laughs) a super disaster for me. Um, And I met this guy who was super charming and um, said everything I wanted to hear. And, um, even though there were some definite red flags, it just, my loneliness was so strong at that time that it just, I just superseded. Yes. You know what you in your gut knew, "Eh, this may not be a good idea. And where were you in your faith journey at this point? Um, So I grew up in church. Um, I became a Christian when I was four. I was baptized when I was 10. Um, So church was always a thing for me. Um, but it was never like a heart thing for me. And so I, you know, um, hadn't been going to church very much. Um, had kind of gotten very just stagnant in everything. No, no church, no church friends. Actually, I really isolated myself a lot from like everybody. I want to come back to that in a little bit, that isolation and um, talk about how, God created community for us and how it's so important. But before we get to that, um, walk us through what happened next. So you're chatting with this guy online. He says all of the right things. Deep down inside, you knew it was probably not the right decision. But you you step forward that you meet him in person. You're how long are you dating? (laughs) Well, um, he's he was very pushy, um, very manipulative. Um, He actually talked me into letting, because he was just like, I just really need a place to stay. The place I lived just isn't working anymore. And I let him actually move in 
within like a week of yeah meeting him not normal for me I'm normally more cautious than that but it literally I just threw caution to the wind um like whatever I'm I can't do this I'm just I'm don't want to be lonely anymore and he's here and whatever but things were great at first um you know he really helped out around the house he didn't have a job so that kind of was whatever um but I thought, well, you know, he's just in between jobs. I didn't realize the extenuating circumstances. Like after I got deeper into it, I realized why he needed to move in with me so fast and all these different things. And, um, but yeah, that, that kind of developed a little bit (laughs) later on into stuff. Um, I found out he was a sex offender and they have to, there's certain circumstances that they have to fulfill all the time. And that's why he needed a place to stay. And so if, uh, when you found out that information, were you like, Oh, I need to, I need to get out of this. Like, this is a bad idea. How do I get out of this? So when I actually found that out, um, he had done something that is very classically um, an abuser tactic. He had told me, I love you, but I just, and he deserted me. Like he like, love bombed me and then immediately deserted me. And that's something that's I have learned um, since then that that's very classic abuser stuff they do because they, they just want to get you so wrapped up that you can't leave. And he had basically packed all of his stuff up one day when I was at work and texted me and said, I, I need to figure out some things and just disappeared. But he left some of his stuff at my house and I went through it because it was left at my house and I saw this paperwork. Um, it wasn't very um, definitive about what happened, but it was, it was enough to know. But because of where he had already gotten me mentally, um, it, my brain was immediately starting to make excuses for behaviors. Did he come back? He did. Um, He did. I ended up moving because I just couldn't handle living where I was anymore. Everything reminded me of him. So I moved. And the day I moved, um, he came back. The day you moved? Yes, he came back. And Was he like watching from afar? Like how did... We did had, he know or is it just a coincidence? We had still been in contact with each okay. other because I had stupidly put him on my phone plan. So I was still paying for his phone. And so we were still in contact with each other. Um, but yeah, he, it was always a, a thing for him of, well, it, it's always an excuse. There was always an excuse. It was where we were living was causing him problems or this was causing, it was always, it's, it was never a taking responsibility for his actions. There was always extenuating circumstances that was causing problems. So he moves back in when you yes. moved to this new place. Mm-hmm. Did he, was it another love bomb or did he stay? Um, yeah, it was, it was another love bomb. He didn't leave again, um, but it was also because I found out I was pregnant. Okay. So, so now the situation is <laughs> even more complicated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was in July of 2009. And, um, I found out, um, that I was pregnant, um, probably September, October, August, September. Um, I kicked him out. I, I was done with his attitude because he was super strung out on drugs. Um, I don't want to get into a lot of it, but just some very demonic behaviors going on and stuff. I kicked him out. Um, but you know, I, I was, pregnant and emotions and everything and he talked his way back in um it just like each time that leaving and coming back it was just it literally felt like it was like pulling me farther along I see it now pulling me farther along down this hole of of where it was everything was going but when you're in the middle of this is it like you have blinders on almost Um, yeah, um, I personally am a fixer. I want to fix people's problems and he was very much a, um, nobody's ever loved me. Um, my family just has, has never understood me 
And so in my head, I'm going, I'm going to fix this person. I'm going to fix him. I'm going to show him God's love. I'm going to show him, you know, something that nobody else has ever. I'm going to be the one that he is going to point to and say, she fixed me. So as you're traveling down this, this journey, he's strung out on drugs. He's in and out. You are pregnant. Where is your relationship with the Lord? I I prayed a lot, but it was more like it, it it always seemed to be like God help me fix this situation. It it wasn't ever a okay. It was always me asking God to fix things, not lead me where I needed to go. Because he had been in prison before, he had um found God in prison. He would only go to this one specific church. So I went there because I wanted to, you know, he never went with me, um, but I still went anyway because I at least had some connection to God. I never gave up on God. Um, and I also knew that I always wanted my son to be raised in a godly place, you know, so that, yeah, but it was more of just begging God to help me fix the situation for the most part. From what you've shared so far, you know, the manipulation is a form of abuse. Um, you know, I've heard you talk about things that are emotional abuse. Um, was there physical abuse and when did that start? Um, not while I was pregnant. Um, the first time he really put hands on me, I think, um, our son was probably three or four months old. I don't know. Um, he got, I had come home from work. I I had to go back to work. I had a C-section. Um, I had to go back to work three weeks after I had our son because um, at the time he had moved in his invalid grandmother and his on disability father and him and then me and the baby and none of them were working and none of them would pay for anything, even though they had disability and stuff. So what am I going to do? Um, I had to go back to work. So I went back to work three weeks after having a C-section because I had no other choice. And um, but I came home one day and he didn't like the fact that I was trying to rush him to get me back to work. And, um, yeah, he put me against the wall and put his hands around my neck and screamed at me and then got more mad at me because I was scaring his grandmother because I had made him do this to me. Did you have anyone surrounding you, family, friends? I know you had talked about how you kind of isolated yourself that saw from a different perspective than what you were seeing what was happening and scared for you? Um, my parents were, um, but it had kind of been a, uh, I was going to do whatever I, you know, to do this. Um, his actual mother had come over to see our son because we got married after, um, about 10 days after um, I had had our son. And um, his mother came over and saw the marriage license application sitting there. And as she was walking out the door, I'll never forget it. She goes, she taps it with her finger and said, I would think about that again before you did that if I were you. And oh, then walked wow. out the door. I mean, that was his own mom. Yeah. And I was like, well, nobody's going to tell me right. what to do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That, uh, um, but it just, you know, he, he cheated on me the whole time we were together. Um, he, <laughs> he always told me he had done it, um, so that I would forgive him. And, and so in that way, I didn't have any recourse to biblically leave him because I had forgiven him. So that wiped his slate clean. So he would do it again. He would come. It was just constant. But then that also put in my head, why am I not good enough for you? Why am I not good enough for you to stay with? 
why am I not enough? You know, I, I, I know that I, I've talked to other women since then that have gone through similar situations and that's always plays in why am I not good enough when it really truly has nothing to do with me as a person. It, it was all about what he, him and his carnal desires and everything. But all that does is play on a woman's ability to, to love herself and care. And, you know, it destroys God's, you know, God's image of you in your own head and all of it. As women, the enemy knows that that trips us up super easy. Yeah. And I think that's regardless of what kind of situation we're in at different levels, he uses that against us. So absolutely, yeah. you know, women that are in or have been in the situation similar to what you're in. Yeah. Like, I, how do how can I be better? What yeah. can I do? What can I do next to, to make you love me more? Yeah. Um, you know, how, how bad did it get? Um, so we moved a couple more times, um, in the process, his, uh, his best friend had gotten put in prison for a while. And so he didn't have as much access to all that stuff. So things actually for a while were amazing. Like we were going to church together we were praying together. Um, one of the sweetest memories was one night we were we were kneeling next to our bed praying, and our son came in and saw us and kneeled down next to us, and it was it was such a sweet, poignant time. But it only lasted for a little bit because he it was on surface he had you know was following God, but the true heart surrender had not happened with him. But that probably gave you hope. Yeah, it it did, you know, and I was like, okay, maybe things are going to be great because when he was good, he was amazing. And it, but when he was off on it, it was, it was not. <laughs> um, so we finally, we moved the last time. It was a great place. We walked in, the lady that we rented from was playing Christian music. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, it wasn't far from the church we were going to. I was like, this is this is it. This is like I felt so much hope in that situation. And um, because he was he had been clean, we were everything was going great. And about two weeks after we moved, I was at work and I got a text from him and it said, I'm sorry, I cheated on you again. And I just like that cold water down your spine, like just like sick to my stomach. I went in the bathroom at work and was just like, I don't like, I don't even know what to say at this moment. Um, you know, he was all oh, so sorry, everything, but it just was like, and it just kind of started a, a very quick roll down in the hill for the next year or so. Um, he just really started getting really heavy into into drugs. Um, like all the typical um, meth was his drug of choice. I've I have a lot of friends because I work with recovery communities so much now that there I've told I've told them situations that were happening and they're like, oh yeah, that's that's pretty typical. But I mean, he he thought people were watching him through our TVs. I would come home. There would be blankets over our TVs, computer. He would get underneath the house because he thought that somebody had wired the house to know where he was all the time. Paranoia. Such paranoia. And then he started seeing demons come through the walls. Um, he would wake me up to come see the monkeys in the trees that were watching him. And then you'd get mad because I couldn't see them. Um, and this whole time you're clean. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I touched drugs like twice in my early, early 20s, and they never did anything for me. So I was like, well, this is dumb. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, I, the only thing I ever, like, I drank every once in a while, but, um, yeah, it wasn't, I, I never had the addiction problems. Um, probably about six months or so before I actually, left um things started he started acting 
more aggressively towards our son as well mm. a little bit. That's a game changer. And yeah, yeah, it was. Um, he had left a bruise on our son, and his sister had called him out. Like it was, it was, it was bad. It was a whole situation. Um, and has he still been aggressive towards you this yeah, whole time here yeah. and there? Every once in a while, most of it was he loved to break my stuff. He he loved to tell me how I'd, you know, no one else would ever want me. Um, most of it was very mental, emotional, verbal abuse. Um, very little of it was physical, although when he was, he was real good at it because no one would have ever been able to tell. And it actually, it's about 10 years ago, um, I got home one evening and um, I uh, I had uh, been at work and I got home and our son was already ready for bed, which was weird um, because he did as little as possible. That That's one thing that it was very frustrating to me at the time because um, – because we were married, the state considered him primary caregiver, um, which meant I couldn't get any child care assistance, which means if I needed to work, I had to leave our son with him. Whether it was a good situation or not, because of circumstances, financial circumstances, I was kind of stuck. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so I got home that night and he, it was just there was, there was just a weird vibe going on in the house it was I really don't know how else to explain it it just felt weird but things were weird a lot anyway and um everything it just progressed as normal but a little weird um but we all went to bed and um the next morning I was off work and I got up um to put our son in the bath to give him a bath and um I took his pajamas off and there were bruises all over his backside and down his legs. And um, I just, I sat there with him in the tub and me just sitting there and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But also knowing that there was a very violent, other person in the house when and when he was violent he was very strong and I couldn't upset him either right and how but, old is your son at this point like two three um he was about two months away from being three I I just kind of was like you know try, how am I going to deal with the situation with out causing more things to be broken, more stuff to, I mean, cause there were so many times in the past where he would just, uh, it just destroy things because he, anyway, just because that was his way of dealing with everything. So we're sitting there and all of a sudden he wakes up and he comes flying in the bathroom. What are you doing? Screaming at me. Because he didn't want me to see this. I don't know how he thought he was going to be able to hide it from me until the bruises went away. But, like, losing his mind about it. So I ended up, and the, the bathroom was really small, so I ended up getting out of there. Um, and I went in our room and just kind of, like, trying to make myself as small as possible. I went and laid down in the bed and it was just kind of, like, trying to, you know... I knew he would come at me, so I was trying to make sure that our son was not around. Um, but he comes he comes in our bedroom and is screaming, you're making me feel more guilty about this than I already do. How dare you make me feel even more guilty? He picked up our nightstand, threw it across the room. I mean, just all, just everything. And then um, went in the living room, came back in, was screaming at me again went back in the living room and he got a text from one of his buddies that he had been hanging out with. And they were like, Hey, we got a good lead on some, let's go. And I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever. 
he's gone. Um, but that was probably also the biggest mistake he ever made because he was gone for 24 hours and it gave me some time to think about stuff. Um, <clears throat> his sister came over and wanted to, um, have our son spend the night with her. And, um, <laughs> I had to tell her otherwise she's going to see this and, uh, you know, yeah. I don't. Don't want to have to have that explanation on top of it as well. So anyway, I told her and she looked at me and she said, how long are you going to let this keep going on? And I, I don't know why that. Because I'd other people say that to me before. Yeah. But it was just at that time, it was just like. I don't know. I just it just kind of like struck me big time and so I was like I I just don't even know at this point I really don't and um so she took our son and and went on and he finally came back and um I told him that his sister had taken our son and he was acting like this oh you know hey great we have an evening to ourselves and all this stuff and I looked at him and I said, I had to tell her what you did. And he absolutely lost it, like screaming, all this stuff. And at that point, he finally had left. And I called my mom and I was like, can you take me to the store? I'm just going to buy new locks for the house, which I found out later was illegal. Um, so I'm glad I didn't do it. <laughs> but... Um, <clears throat> she said, why don't you just pack some stuff up? And she'd said that to me before and I had not done it, but I was just like, I can't, I just, in my brain, my brain just kept saying, you cannot, because the whole time through all of this four years, like my brain, the whole time was telling me why in the world you're a smart person. You're not dumb like he keeps accusing you of. Like, why do you keep doing this? But it's just, I could not break away from it. And, but I did. I finally, I packed some stuff up and had stuff ready to go. And he came back and I just looked at him and I said, um, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't. And um, he goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, this. I just can't. I can't do this anymore. And he looked at me and he goes, that'll be the biggest regret of your life. And I said, it is what it is. I just, I can't. And he goes, well, then I'll just go to the cops and tell them you did it. And I said, he was constantly blaming me for stuff. So I was like, did what? Like, like I, like in my head, I was like, what are you trying to blame on me now? And he goes, well, our son's too young to tell him what happened. I'll just tell him that you did it. And I, <laughs> I was just like, that's it. Like there was no remorse. There was no, apology there was no sadness there was just like well I'm just gonna go to the cops and tell them you did it and I I just my my mind was like blown <laughs> and then my mom showed up right after and as funny as it is like he was terrified of my mom like my dad's this big old dude and my he was scared of my mom my mom showed up and he took off and I walked out of my house and I looked at my mom and I said, just take me to the police department. I can't do this anymore. And I know that she was trying to be calm, but she was also like, finally. Um, <laughs> but I went to the police department and filled out whatever, you know, turned in the report that I needed to. But then they told me, they were like, we have to see the child. You have to go get him. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a two-year-old who had not had a nap that day. Um, 
It was like 10 o'clock at night by this time, and I had to drive out to Pleasant Hope to get him and then take him to the hospital so they could do an evaluation. Do evaluation on him. And it was literally probably the hardest day of my life, evening of my life, because they had to do all, you know, they, they checked him out and all this stuff, but then they had to do a full body of x-rays on him um, to make sure there hadn't been past abuse. And I had to sit there and I had to hold my two-year-old son down while he's screaming and crying. He had no idea what was going on. And I just kept saying, I'm so sorry. Did you feel exposed? Yeah, very much so. Because they kept looking at me as, you know, why? Why did you let this happen? You know, and the uh, the hospitals and the court system aren't great at protecting domestic violence victims. They try to be. And I know that they're only doing their job. Right. But there's not a lot of protection when it comes to that. And they're all looking at me. Well, why did you let this happen? Why did you, why did you wait 24 hours to report this? Why did you do this? And I'm like, I'm trying to stay alive myself at this point, you know, and trying to keep my senses together because I was just so numb. So numb at, at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, um, they let us go. I ended up moving in with my parents, um, had to have caseworkers come to my parents' house. Uh, I, uh, my mom called all of my, <laughs> I have amazing family. Um, I called, they called, my mom called all of my relatives in Oklahoma and said, Hey, we need to get Joy's house cleaned out. <laughs> Can you come up here? And they all showed up and we literally cleaned out. Well, I didn't. I wasn't there. Um, they kept me away from the house in case he showed up. But I have <laughs> I have uh, family members that have been in the police force. And so they all showed up in, like, their police shirts. <laughs> like, they're all from other states. But <laughs> they showed up with their police shirts on and all this stuff. And I think it was, it was, it was just more of a show. Of, yeah, to hey, send a message. Yeah. They didn't but, have any jurisdiction. They no, were just there to send but, a message. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, but they, they cleaned my house out in three hours completely and, uh, put everything in a storage unit. Um, the storage unit itself was such a blessing from God. They didn't have a small storage unit like I needed. They had this massive one, but he, the guy that gave it to me, um, gave it to me for the price of the small one. Why it's so important <laughs> is for this little story. I I had to go to the court. I had to go to the courts like at least once a month, every month after all this started because there was criminal case, there was divorce case, there was restraining order hearings, there was just anything and everything. And when I say that the court system does not protect domestic violence victims, I literally had to get up in front of my abuser every single month for almost a little over a year and tell the judge why he didn't need access to his child, why he didn't need access to me, why this, why what he had done in front of him to a judge every month for almost an entire year. Like, it's hard to heal when you're constantly ripping off whatever little scab has developed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, but about, um, so this, that happened in February, I think it was June, maybe, I'm not sure, but the police department had called me because they were looking for him. They, it was just a person, person of interest warrant um, but he was evading police, obviously, because he didn't want to talk to anybody. But they had called me and they'd called my mom. And I said, well, I have a court date here in a couple of weeks. If he shows up, 
Knowing that you're looking for him, he probably won't. But if he shows up, do you want me to call the police department and let him know he's at the courthouse? Absolutely, they tell me. Absolutely. So I was sitting there with my mom and I was like, there is no way he's going to show up. And about 10 minutes later, he showed up. And I was like, what? Like, you know warrants are out for your arrest and you've been evading the police and you're going to show up at the courthouse. But okay. <laughs> so I called the police department and they're like, okay. And we go in and they waited till the very, everybody else was out of the courtroom before they heard our case and which was a restraining order thing. The bailiff, I, she's the best. And other people that I've talked to that know her, like she's the best bailiff down there at the courthouse. She's amazing. But we got done and um, they told me I could leave and he got up to leave and she goes, no, you can go sit in the back of the courtroom. <laughs> and I was like, so I leave and there was people from the a victim advocate was there and the bailiff and all these people and, you know, all this stuff. And they were but they arrested him in the courtroom that day. Prior to this, when I left, he had taken the vehicle that I owned and didn't have any insurance on it. Um, had driven it all over the country. Literally he drove it all the way to Colorado with no insurance and everything. And, but I knew he had it and it was mine. It was only licensed in my name and I needed it back, but he, he wouldn't obviously give it to me. And so I, I got in the car with my mom and I looked at her and I said, I know that van is on this courthouse property somewhere. I wish I had keys to it. And my mom is not a very demonstrative person, but she looked at me and she smiled and she whipped those keys out and she jingled them in the, in, <laughs> in the car. And I was like, oh my gosh. So we went and found it. And um, sure enough, it was there. It was completely empty of gas. Of course. Of course, yes. Um, but there was another God wink <laughs> at me because we literally got it all the way across town to somebody I knew that worked on cars that was because he had put a locking gas cap on it. And of course, I didn't have the key to that. But I literally on no gas drove it all the way across town, was able to get that gas cap off and get it to the gas station. Then why I said previously about the storage unit, I was like, what are we going to do with this? Because obviously he still has the keys. They're yeah, not going to be just able to come get it. Yeah. And she goes, I bet we can fit it in that storage unit. And I'm like, I bet we could. So my mom and I drove the van over to the storage unit, moved a few things around and I'm not joking with you. We pulled that van in and there was less than six inches from the back bumper to where that door closed. It all fit in there. All of my stuff and that van fit in that storage unit. Because it got new. Yeah. Like it just like there's so many times through so many things with this whole situation that I can see God working through. <laughs> so many parts of it through all the court cases um just just everything you know it ended up being when everything was finally done you know he pled guilty he went to prison for five years the when the divorce came down I had asked for what I felt was being very generous as far as contact um, between him and our son and the judge and the guardian ad litem both felt that um, it would cause irrevocable emotional damage for him to be around his father. And so they revoked his parental rights. I didn't ask for that. That's what I wanted, but I didn't ask right. for that. And, but God knew. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's so many times through all of that and through the 10 years since that God has just done so many things. Just walking through 
all of that. The fact that I was able to find a a victim advocate community here and able to support they were they were such a support to me. They gave me free counseling for my son to walk through what had happened with him and how did your relationship with God start to bloom after you were free from all of this or did that blooming start before you were free from all of this? Um, I always, always knew that he was there. Um, I, I started, I started going to church more. I lived with my parents for about six months I still, honestly, I still continue to go to the church that I had started going to with him because that's, they knew me. They actually were very supportive of me. Um, when I left, um, he tried to get multiple people to talk me back into being with him to the point that I had to sit down with the pastor at the time and one of the deacons and show them the pictures of what he had done and explain to them because his thing was because infidelity biblically is a reason for someone to leave their spouse but in his mind because he had always told me and asked for forgiveness and I had forgiven him that wiped the slate clean so I biblically had no reason to leave him which is such a fallacy but unfortunately there's a lot of women that stay in bad relationships because that's truly what the church they're at preaches. And um, it's sad that they're left in that precarious situation because of that. Um, but they were very, very supportive of me. I've been able to um, share my story um, with single moms all over the area. I became part of a single moms group um, who the leader of that was very supportive of me sharing my story and who I, who I am and who I'm becoming still is actually a very big support of me. Even through a lot of that, God was still like, he was there and I knew he was there and I totally give him credit for things that he has done, but I still struggled with my relationship with him a lot and it truly had nothing to do really with the church I was at. It was just not where I was supposed to be. But they had been my support system. And so it was a really struggle for me to leave there. It finally came down to some very painful circumstances that made me leave. Um, God sometimes will just make you move. <laughs> He will, there, he, he will force situations yeah. around you to happen to where you are given no choice but to move. Um, it's been a blessing at many times over. Um, the church I go to now, my son gave his heart to Jesus. He's been baptized. He serves as much as I do in the church, and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, but it came from a very painful process yeah. that I had to surrender my thoughts of <laughs> what I felt God needed me or wanted me to do, what I thought <laughs> I needed to Isn't do. Isn't that crazy how we get in our minds, oh God, this is this is what I know that you want me to do versus yeah. saying, God, what do you want me to do? Yeah. I mean, I've often prayed God, help me be the wife, mother, friend, um, employee that you want me to be instead of saying to him, help me be a better, insert whatever yeah. role he's given me. Yeah. Um, I see you now, and I see a woman that is completely surrendered to the Lord, that's on fire for him, and that wants to share his goodness with every person that she influences in any way, shape, or form. So God has done a miraculous, it's a miraculous journey. I almost, I look at you and I think about um, the Israelites, like you were in the wilderness for a season. And now 
even though it's not always easy, <laughs> you're in the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I actually sit on the um, domestic violence shelter board for the county here using my story and my influence for, for that. I've been able to share my story on social media different times. I've had my own best friend and my cousin that's closest to my age both have come to me at different times and said, I was able to leave my situation because I saw you do it and were successful at it. And to me, yeah, it is painful to talk about my situation, but if even one person can walk out of that because of something I said, I'll share it. I'll scream it from the rooftops. You know, I've been accused of playing the victim before. And I'm like, no, that is not why I share my story. Yeah. I share my story because I want other people to know that it's it's possible. I said much earlier that we would come back to this. You talked about in the um, beginning of this, when you were doing the online dating, that you had really isolated yourself and you were feeling lonely. And I know now that you are in a position where you're creating community for women or for men or for whoever, you know, whatever their status is in life, single, married, um, for them to have community. Do you feel that if you would have had that community at that time and place, that things would have been different for you? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I think that if I had had a good, I had a support system, but I chose to push that away. Like I, I chose to not be going to church all the time. I chose not to spend time with my family. <laughs> Um, I chose to not be around people that I considered friends. Um, but I guess I pushed everybody away. But yeah, if I'd have if I'd have been in that community more, community is such an important thing. You cannot survive in this world without community of some sort. Like you have to have that. When you look back at this entire story, what is the one word that comes to mind? Probably grace. Um, hope and grace. If I hadn't had hope, I wouldn't have been able to, to leave, but I also had to have grace for on so many different levels obviously god's grace um but i had to have grace to forgive him um i had had to have grace to forgive myself for things that happened and forgiveness i know that's three words <laughs> but those those are such integral things I, I i forgave him not because he deserved it or any of that i forgave him because i had to heal and without me forgiving him um, i would it would have just festered inside me they say not forgiving someone is like drinking poison yeah. and hoping that the other person will pass. Yeah, it, it it's true. Like I had to forgive him to heal myself because my anger, my frustration, my irritation with all of it was only hurting me. He didn't. He didn't care. It wasn't affecting him. It was only affecting me. And I've I've tried to instill that in my son now, you know, going through, walking through life without a father. You know, I mean, 
just the other day, his aunt told me that he had told her to tell our son, I love you. And our, our son saw that and said, I, I wish I could believe that he felt that way. And, and I said, I know. And we, ha- we were able to talk about that, but I was like, I've ha- I've tried to instill in, in our son that forgiveness, you have to do that for yourself. You have to let go of those frustration feelings, those anger feelings, because it only hurts you. Would you mind as we close out this episode, would you pray over those that are listening to this, that um, God would be with them in the middle of wherever they are, possibly in a journey that, that has a lot of similarities to yours? Yeah. Dear God, I just, I thank you for all of those little God moments throughout my situation um, that let me see you. And I pray for any, any person that hears this, hears my story, that they see your hope and your grace in your in their situation and that they can walk away from that and understand that there is fullness of love and joy on the other side of that that there is freedom and there is peace that is only waiting for them to step toward it. And again, I thank you so much for the freedom and the peace that you freely give to every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Story Matters. Check out the show notes below. We have some different links and some resources available to you related to the topic we covered in this episode. And then be sure to follow and download for more of This Story Matters. If you need prayer, we invite you to call or text our prayer line. It's available 24-7, 365, anytime you could possibly need it. 877-800-7729. We would love to hear the story God has written in your life. Email us with your story at thisstorymatters at thewind.radio.